All right, good morning, everybody. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Title to our message this morning is Passover part two, Moses wrote of me. We're going to be reading verses one through 13, but our focus is going to be verses three through six. As you're turning there, remember what Paul told Timothy that the sacred writings are able to make us wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here together this morning under your name. And we are exercising all the means of grace, Lord, that you've commanded us to in your word. But Lord, we recognize that we can do nothing, we can hear nothing, we can learn nothing, we can grow in nothing this morning apart from you. You tell us that that Paul had planted, that Apollos has watered, but neither him who plants nor him who waters is anything, but God must give the growth. And so please grow us up into Christ this morning, for we pray it in his name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So last week we saw that Passover marked the beginning of a new age, the beginning of a new world. Israel came into Egypt as a family and they are leaving now as a nation. And so Passover marked their independence day. 
But what we're going to see this morning is that Passover isn't mainly about Israel at all. Think about all the precise instructions that we heard from the Lord just now about this ceremony. Every particular was spelled out, wasn't it? The who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how. It was a very elaborate ceremony. And the question is, is why? Puritan Stephen Charnock says here, Indeed, if we consider all the circumstances in this institution, they seem not worthy of the wisdom of God. Is God only interested in ceremony? Nor are they capable of having any reason rendered for them if they be not referred to some other mystery. And what can that be? but the Redeemer of the world. Uh, we just heard from Genesis 40, uh, these dreams. These dreams meant something. This is God's ordinary way of, of working often in the Old Testament that he gives a sign, and then that sign means something, right? Charnock continues. What should, why should so much care be in the choice and separation of a lamb? What virtue had the blood of a poor animal to secure the house and the life of the firstborn against the sword of a strong and invisible angel? Was the sprinkling of the blood upon the posts a necessary mark for the angel as though he had not understanding enough to distinguish between the Israelites and the Egyptians? How can we think God should appoint so many ceremonies, lay such a charge upon them for the strict observation of them if... He had not designed it as a ground to expect a higher deliverance by the blood of the Messiah. In other words, friends, the Passover is the gospel in the Old Testament. It's the clearest demonstration of the gospel in the Old Testament. When Moses wrote these words down, he was writing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 5, 46. He said, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote of me. Uh, this lamb that we see here, it's a, it's a type. It's a prophecy in picture form. Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8. This explains why the Jews are in blindness today. Why the state of Israel is in blindness today because they don't see Jesus in the Passover. They see it merely as a ceremony. This is not ceremony for ceremony's sake. God is telling us a story about how he sent his son into the world to redeem the world. So here are our three parts this morning. First, we're gonna look at the lamb who is gentle and lowly. Secondly, the lamb who is too great for one house. And then thirdly, the lamb who is without blemish or spot. So let's start with the lamb who is gentle and lowly. Please look with me at verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. The lamb would be the sacrifice. Um, 
But why a lamb? Why a lamb? Have you ever thought about that before? Uh, children, uh, boys and girls, why didn't God call the Israelites to sacrifice like giant tarantulas? Or wolves? Or snakes? wonder if any of you children have stuffed animals. When I was a little boy, I had one. It was Mark the dog. Um, why do you think I had a stuffed dog and not a stuffed scorpion? Isn't it because of the nature of dogs? Dogs are man's best friend, right? I mean, when was the last time you saw a stuffed octopus or a stuffed crab, I'm sure they exist, but the point is, is we don't cuddle up to those things, do we? Here's the rule. In Scripture, the sign must correspond, it must match up with the thing that it is pointing to. So think about our Lord's Supper. When we have Lord's Supper together, there's a reason why we don't have Twinkies and Coca-Cola as the elements. Those don't match up with the sign. They, they don't match up with the thing that the sign is pointing to. Scripture identifies animals with other beings, doesn't it? It identifies Pharaoh as a dragon, Isaiah 51.9. It identifies the devil as a serpent, Revelation 12.9. Why? Well, because dragons and serpents are vicious predators with that poison, with their venom, that ruthlessly kill with their sharp teeth. These animals rightly match up Pharaoh and the devil as they murder and enslave humanity. God chose a lamb for Passover, precisely because it points to someone like no other animal can. Most of us live in this city, so we are unaware, perhaps, of what a lamb is like. At least I am. A lamb is a very gentle creature. They're peaceful. They're innocent. They're the meekest of all animals. In fact, when Nathan, Nathan the prophet told David a story one time about a lamb, 2 Samuel 12, 3, he says, this poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Certainly, these Jewish families would have felt the same way about this Passover lamb. Imagine with me, they bring this lamb into their homes on uh, the 10th day, all the while knowing that within four days, they were going to put it to death. What would have they have seen in this lamb? They would have seen its tenderness and how docile and submissive this lamb was. And no doubt the children's hearts would have melted with, with sorrow and tears would have been shed when this lamb was put to death. 
If it was a vicious wolf, the family would have been good riddance. But this lamb would have been friendly and kind and, dare I say, even gracious to those families. For four days, they would have witnessed the loveliness and tenderness of this creature. And so we arrive then at our first principle. Never did Jesus appear more like a lamb than in his becoming a sacrifice for sinners. Never did Jesus appear more like a lamb than in his becoming a sacrifice for sinners. Certainly, if we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we see many times where he is extremely gentle and kind and lowly. Um, He was moved with pity over the leper. He touched him. He made him clean. Mark 1, 40 through 42. What did he do at Lazarus's tomb? He wept. Um, he was even known by his fiercest enemies as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Matthew eleven nineteen. So in his life, he was like a lamb, but, but he never appeared more like a lamb than when he laid down his life for sinners. Go read the passion accounts and and see it for yourselves. The one characteristic that runs through all of them when Jesus was going to his death was that he was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Just consider a few. If you were sitting at the Last Supper and somebody was there who was going to betray you to death, how would you have acted towards that person? Jesus fed him out of his own hand. John 13, 26, so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot. What would you have done if you knew that your best friends were going to abandon you? And Peter, your number one man, was going to deny you. Jesus prayed for them and comforted them. What would you do to the man who would come to arrest you and abuse you? Malchus, the centurion. Luke twenty-two fifty-one. he told his right-hand man, Peter, to put his sword down. No more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed the man. Jesus remained silent, though malicious lies were spoken against him again and again. I can't... I can't even remain silent if one lie is spoken against me. It it, it torques me. Jesus was quiet over and over and over again. Matthew 27, 12 through 14. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. When Jesus was suspended in the air, nailed to the cross, he most appeared like a lamb. Those men who just nailed him to the cross, how does he respond? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What does he do to the the dying criminal that's right next to him who deserves hell? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. On the cross, he made sure his mother had uh, a place to stay, that she had a new son who would take care of him. John 19, 26 and 27, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And finally, to his own father, whose will it was to crush him, Isaiah 53.10, he surrendered his, his body and soul entirely. Luke 23.46, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Loved ones, never did Jesus appear more like a lamb than when he was being sacrificed for sinners. So I exhort you this morning, loved ones, take this lamb, take this lamb into the home of your heart. Uh, in verse three, Moses says, every man shall take a lamb, this lamb, into their household. So th think about, be, be self-reflective here for a moment. What animal have you welcomed into your home? What animal do you associate with the Lord Jesus Christ? A vicious wolf, a venomous snake, a hard master? Loved ones, look at the, look at the Lamb of God. Look at the friend of sinners. Look at him who, as he's on his way to the cross, he could have called 12 legions of angels to set him free, but he voluntarily went to the slaughter. As wolves, as, as sheep have their wool sheared off of their skin, he had his skin scourged until it was bleeding down to the bone. Organs were exposed. Look at him who wept over rebels. He wept over rebels. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Look at him who prayed for his enemies. Look at him who intercedes for you even now. He intercedes for you now, though you failed this week. Look to him who didn't suffer crucifixion um, reluctantly, but it was his joy to go to the cross. He laid down his life. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Puritan Stephen Charnock says here, he was more willing to die than they were to put him to death. He went to it not only as a duty, but as an honor. It's my food to do the will of the Father. Friends, take that lamb into your heart. Reject all counterfeits that you have of the Lord Jesus Christ. Re reject those ideas, those other beasts, those other images that Satan would suggest to you. Look to the Passover lamb, the gentle and lowly one, the lamb who was obedient to death, even to death on a cross. You and I can't even be obedient to God for one hour. He was obedient to God his whole life, all the way to death. Take that lamb into your heart. 
That's our first point. Never did Jesus appear more like a lamb than in his becoming a sacrifice for sinners. Let's look at our second point. The lamb who is too great for one house. Look at verse 4, please. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Apparently, the Lord did not want any of this lamb to go to waste. The the Jewish historian Josephus uh, said that the minimum number, at least in Second Temple Judaism, uh, for a household at Passover was 10. 10 people. Now, I dare say that maybe with a couple of exceptions, there's no family in this congregation with 10 people in a household. So, so probably all of us would have to go grab our nearest neighbor. That's hint number one. Um, I'm not sure what the average size Hebrew family was, but perhaps they're larger than ours. But for any family that was too small for a lamb, they were commanded. It wasn't a suggestion. They were commanded to go invite their nearest neighbor to eat with them or vice versa to make sure that the guest list was proportionate to the meal. Sisters, when you are uh, meal planning, how do you determine... How much food you will prepare? Easy, right? You count up the number of people that you know are going to eat. Now, perhaps you plan for leftovers, but even then, you make only enough leftovers so that that food won't spoil before it gets eaten. So the number of people you are feeding determines the size of the meal. But in Passover, it's exactly opposite. God predetermined the size of the meal, a lamb, and they were to invite others to make sure that all of that lamb could be eaten. No leftovers were allowed whatsoever. Verse 10 says, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. So the question that we ask in our modern day is we say, are we going to have enough food? The question they asked was, are we going to have enough people? For many families in Goshen, the lamb would be too great for only one household. Consider that. Consider that. That God's first concern, his first concern before before these other things, in the Passover meal was that there would be too few people for the lamb. Isn't that revealing? God was not concerned if a household was going to have too many, he was only concerned that a household would have too few. That brings us then to our second principle this morning. The Lamb of God is too great for only a few. His house must be full. The Lamb of God is too great for only a few. His house must be full. God did not send his son into the world so that only a few people could feast on the Lamb. That is a myth in evangelicalism. Charles Spurgeon said on this text in his own day, he said this, quote, 
our family is certainly too small a reward for Jesus. Our family is too little to render all the praise and worship and service and love which he deserves. If all of England and Scotland and America and France and in every country where, the, where Christ is preached were converted, it would still be too little for the Lamb. As long as there was an island of the sea in which the people were not converted to Christ, our hearts would still cry, the household is too little for the Lamb. Spurgeon was well acquainted with what the scripture said about how big the household would be for the Lamb of God. Consider what the scripture says. Isaiah 49, 6. This is the father speaking to Christ before he sends him into the world. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. In other words, uh, the house of Israel is too small for me to send you into the world. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is a promise in the covenant of grace, Genesis twenty-two eighteen. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This is what the Jews sang in their synagogue, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven: all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. This is what the prophets prophesy. Isaiah 2, 2 through 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come. And this is what John prophesied in his apocalyptic vision, Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? That's a rhetorical question. Who will not fear? Show me the man. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. From Genesis to Revelation, God's concern at Passover in the covenant of grace in the Psalms and the prophets is that the Lamb's house would be exceedingly full of peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation. Therefore, I exhort you, dear church, go to your neighbor. It's, it's clear uh, that from these verses, the house is still too little for the lamb. In verse three, people were commanded if their house was too little for the lamb that they were to invite their neighbor. Heaven is still far too little for the lamb. These promises that we just read are not fulfilled yet. We must go to our neighbor and share the lamb of God with them. Verse three says, go to your nearest neighbor. Certainly this can apply to the person living next door to us, but who are the people that are nearest to us? Who are, the, who are the people that know us? Who are the people that we spend time with? Um, perhaps it's that person that you work with or that lost family member or the guy who cuts your hair. Maybe it's the civic circles that you, that you frequent. Maybe it's your HOA. I think that's part of the curse, by the way. I'm pretty sure. People at your gym, 
those parents on your kids' sports team, any, any who God brings into your daily life through his providence is your nearest neighbor. We must invite them to the feast. The lamb is far too precious to shut out the hungry. The lamb has suffered. We, our calendar year revolves around the, the birth and the death and the resurrection of Christ. The lamb has suffered far too great for heaven to be filled with only a few souls. Is Christ to be rewarded with such a small household? No, we must go to our neighbor. And just like these people in Egypt needed to be goaded on, so we need to be goaded on, loved ones. Children, boys and girls, have you ever had an ingrown toenail before? Anyone? I hope that you never get one. An ingrown toenail is going against nature. It start, it, instead of growing outward, it grows inward, and it causes an infection, and it causes pus, and it stinks. And if it goes on long enough, you'll have to get surgery to get it taken out. When God's people fail to go out into the world, that's what we become. We become an ingrown toenail. We become spiritually infected, full of pus and stink. And God will give us over to surgery to correct that. And there's great motives for this. There's great motives. It's not just for the good of Christ and for the good of your neighbor that we would implore others to come to the feast of the Lamb. It's for the good of our own souls. The promises in Scripture here are legion. Inviting others to Christ is good for us. Listen, Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. Daniel 12.3, those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. What are the means? What are the means for this task? What are our tools well, first of all, understand that this is what God desires for his son. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Secondly, pray for opportunities. Pray that God would providentially arrange circumstances and conversations. Ask him for boldness. Ask him for wisdom. This is exactly what the early church prayed for, Acts 4, 29. And now, Lord, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Does that enter into your prayer life? Lord, give me boldness to speak. And thirdly, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lamb. If, if we are walking with Christ, our neighbor will know, they'll see the effect that Christ has on our life. Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived how they were uneducated, they were stupid, common men, they weren't noble, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
Finally, what manner should we conduct ourselves in this endeavor? Listen to what Spurgeon says here. Religion is not to be crammed down people's throats. But watch for a a suitable opportunity of speaking for Christ, and that opportunity will come to you sooner or later. You may do harm if you do not take care to speak at the right time. The wise man tells us to, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. So watch for the occasion of bearing testimony to Christ and then feeling that your household is too little for the Lamb of God, try to introduce him to others. So that's our second point, that the Lamb of God is far too great for only a few. His house must be full. Let's finally look at our third point, the Lamb who is without blemish or spot. Verse 5, your Lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Without blemish means complete, whole, sound, healthy, unimpaired, innocent, perfect, without spot, undefiled. This lamb had to be physically perfect. No illness, no deformities, no injuries. There couldn't be it had to be pure white. It couldn't have the least smudge of gray on its wool. Had to be a male because it represented the the firstborn son, the heir in each home. And it had to be a year old. It had to be old enough to be examined for defects, but young enough so that the defects of age had not yet set in. It was to be a perfect male lamb in the prime of his life. Verse six. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, isn't that interesting? In verse three, it says they were to take the lamb on the 10th day but they weren't to kill it until the 14th day, four days later. Why is that? Well, they had to examine it and examine it again. It is believed by other commentators that the, this lamb's feet were tied to the bed to remind them of their bondage in Egypt. For four days, this lamb was under the watchful eye of each family. And if it didn't meet the strictest requirement that God laid forth, it could not be sacrificed. Elsewhere, God condemns the Jews for bringing imperfect animals uh, to the sacrifice. In Malachi 1.8, we read, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Imagine, (laughs) 
giving a present to your friend and it's one of those re-gifts present, re-gift presents and it's already been spent, it's wasted, it's ruined, would your friend be honored? Dear congregation, this is right here. It's right here where we discover one of the most neglected doctrines in the gospel. The life that Jesus lived. Children, boys and girls, I bet you if I asked you, what did Jesus do to save you? You would say, well, he died on the cross. And to that I would say, amen. But what did he do before he died? He lived a life without blemish or or spot. And if that didn't happen, it wouldn't matter if he died a hundred deaths on the cross. It could not save us. Jesus' perfect life is what gives value to his death. Jesus' perfect life and his shameful death are two wings on a plane. If you were 30,000 feet up and you looked out your window to the right or looked out your window to the left, you would say, gee, I wonder which wing I could go without. Neither wing. The plane crashes. The death is one wing. His life is the other. And it has to be perfect. Don't you see all the details here in Exodus 12? He hasn't even gotten to the death yet. He's focused on the life of the lamb, what the lamb must look like, what the lamb must be. That's well before the death. He has has to be four things. He has to be without blemish because God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. He must be male because he is the representative of the human race, Christ. He must be a year old in his prime, 30 for Christ. He had to be examined for four days. That is, he had to be tested. That brings us to our third principle. Before the Lamb of God was ever slain for us, before he ever went to the cross, he had to be discovered to be perfect. And that's precisely what Jesus accomplished. Consider first, Jesus was born without blemish. Jesus was born with no defects. Oh, congregation, this is so different from our birth. All of us were born infected and rejected and misdirected. All of us were born with the stain of original sin. All of us. doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter if you're man or woman. Romans says that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. We were born with blemishes and spots, born rejected. But when Christ was born, he was born without original sin. It's one of the greatest miracles that when he was, he was not conceived by man, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And this conception guaranteed that he was born free from all sin. I love how the King James Version puts it in Luke 1.35. Therefore, therefore also... That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Christ was born that holy thing. That's Christ's natural righteousness. Righteousness that he was born with. But second, Jesus lived without blemish. 
This detail in our passage about being kept and inspected for four days is actually fulfilled by Christ. There were 4,000 years that passed between the announcement of the Lamb of God in Genesis 3.15 and His coming into the world in Matthew 1.1. There were 400 years that passed from the, the, the closing of the Old Testament can, canon. Malachi spoke, the days are coming when this new prophet will come to the coming of Christ Himself. Jesus was engaged in ministry for approximately four years. And during that time, he was tempted by the devil, Matthew 1, 4, 4, 1 through 11. And Hebrews 4, 15 says that he was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Jesus came into Jerusalem four days before his crucifixion, during Passover week. Walter Wilson says here, the Lord Jesus was inspected before he was offered as the Passover lamb. Pilate's wife inspected him socially. Pilate inspected him for the civil government. Herod inspected him for the military government. Judas inspected him from the standpoint of personal fellowship. The centurion inspected him as a law enforcement officer. All of them found him without a blemish and therefore fit from the human standpoint to be the lamb of God. What did, what did Pilate say? I find no reason, I find no charge against this man. Before Jesus was ever offered up on the cross, the life he lived, the obedience that he offered was found to be holy and harmless and undefiled both by God and by man. Jesus cheerfully fulfilled all righteousness. 1 Peter 1.19 says he is the lamb without blemish or spot. That's Christ's active righteousness. Dear congregation, don't you see that it's Jesus' life that brings value to his death? It's right to focus on the death of Christ. But we would do better to also focus more on his life. What did he accomplish for us? If a household were to offer to God a blind, sick, maimed lamb, a lamb stained by sin, their firstborn son would die. Likewise, if Christ did not possess this perfect righteousness, if he didn't live a life without blemish or spot, his death would mean nothing. His life is what gives value to his death. So loved ones, Comfort yourself with these two things as we close. First, take a look at yourself. What kind of lamb are you? Or are you even a lamb? Perhaps you're still a wolf this morning. And I encourage you to call out to this lamb of God. He alone can take away your sins. But brothers and sisters, you and I are lambs, and what kind of lambs are we? We're blind, we're sick, we're lame, we're born with defects. Your congregation, is it an exaggeration to say that your life has been 
one failure succeeded by another, hidden by whitewashed tombs. Your life is not acceptable to God. That, that's, that's where we have to start with the, with the gospel message, that your life and my life is not acceptable to God. We've never lived a minute, an hour, a day, where we could say, Lord, look at what I've done. Jesus said at one point, if you were to obey everything that I've commanded you to do, you were to say of yourselves, I am an unworthy servant. I've only done that which I've been commanded. You, you and I are not worthy. But there is a lamb. There is a lamb whose life has been found to be worthy and he has been given for you. He's the lamb without blemish. He's the lamb without spot. And his name is Jesus Christ, the son of God. And it's his life that he gives you. He gives you not only his death, he gives you his life. And his life is life. Listen to what Romans 5.10 says. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, that's wing number one, much more. Much more, much more is this other wing. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Loved ones, you are accepted by God, reconciled by God, saved by God, first and foremost, by the life of Jesus Christ, by the life that he lived. And secondly, this lamb of God is your lamb. He's not, he's not some lamb. He's not some lamb that's abstracted from you. There is a flow of progression in our passage. In verse 3, the lamb is called a lamb. In verse 4, it's called the lamb. In verse 5, it's called your lamb. Your lamb. Jesus is your lamb. Jesus is my lamb. We can say with Paul that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. Look to your lamb, loved ones. See him. See in him the life that God has already accepted in your behalf. Don't look at your life as a life that, that God has accepted. Look at his and you'll find all the comfort and encouragement and power to go to your neighbor, to invite others to the feast. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that Moses wrote of you. He wrote of your son. He wrote of the provision that your son would, would give to us a perfect life. Before we even look at his death, we see his life given for us. Help us to find comfort in that this week as we find ourselves discouraged, as we find ourselves failing in sin again and again and again. Help us to look to the lamb who is out without spot or without blemish, who died in the prime of his life for our sins. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.